Hello and welcome to this edition of Sombrero Fallout and again something I was going to say a little bit different but it's actually the second in a series uh, of interviews with well-known or at least moderately well-known friends of mine and on this edition I'll be talking with old pal Rajan Datar. Who is he? Well many of you particularly in the UK will know him already broadcaster on television and radio whose travelogues and weekly shows have been aired around the world via the BBC for many years now. Also the bass player and co-founder of a ska and reggae band that have released multiple albums and toured the world over the last 40 years. Most importantly we were ourselves in a band together, the Gloom Brothers who I've mentioned from time to time on the programme. Uh, many years ago when we were both at university together and we've shared many an hour listening to and discussing our favourite tracks and bands. So I caught up with Rajan a few weeks ago uh, via the methodology of Zoom, me in Melbourne, uh, he in London. Um, Zoom technology is very good and we appreciate it, thank you Zoom, but uh, occasionally quality of the audio reproduction might leave a tiny bit to be desired. No worry. Uh, Good chat we had talking about the past, the present and the future and listening to some of the records that have meant a great deal to Rush. And so I will now hand over to people at Zoom to bring us the broadcast. So welcome to Sombrero Fallout, Raj and Tatar. Well, hello. How are you? Hello. This is a little odd, isn't it? I'm in Melbourne. You're not. It's amazing, isn't it? Technology right the other side of the planet. Um, This couldn't have happened in our day, could it? Back in the day. No, I like to think that all days are our days, but I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Am I allowed to call you Deeker, by the way, or not? Yes. So that's probably the first thing we need to establish. Please call me by whatever you would normally call me. Uh, and I am a deacon to okay. you, and to many other people as well. My middle name, yes. Right, good. Just, just in case people don't understand. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, that's no. what, what I knew you as, and still know you as. So that's all good. So Rajan's going to play us, uh, as as we know. This is it's not exactly an established format. This is only our second guest appearance, but he's going to play some of the tracks that mean a very great deal to him. Um, maybe should we should we start right at the beginning? And I was brought up in a, in a kind of suburban area called Hampton, which um, in many ways was, was the worst of all worlds because, because we were one of only kind of two families in the whole town who were not white. Uh, and at that point, I mean, quite frankly, anything was, went, you know, everything was allowed and no, the police didn't do anything. Um, and <clears throat> it was it was um, pretty ugly. So uh, in all that context, music gotcha, yeah. was my great escape. Uh, and, and I suspect, again, for yeah. different reasons, for people like you as well. I mean, you know, if you're possibly not the most gregarious or mm-hmm. not an alpha male type person. <laughs> that um, sounds correct. In boyhood. Yes, like, of course. And obviously course. now you've grown yes. into a proper man. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you... Uh, you weren't very expert, and I was pretty into it. And um, yes. so again, music. No, I <laughs> no, one, one. I wasn't. I was. Um, and um, so, 
as I say, music. And obviously, I mean, we should move on a bit, but in, in my teen years, um, John Peel, as for you, I suspect, was uh, a radio DJ in the UK who was like a messianic figure, wasn't he? He was somebody who just gave us music yeah. that we'd never heard before and so eclectic and we loved it so much. Um, and that was when punk and new wave and all that stuff was around and he was playing well i mean he was playing stuff before oh know? he was yeah all the way yeah before then but um but yeah absolutely so at school um they were, you know punk was just arriving um when i was about 16 15 um and there were a few kind of yes. pub bands do you remember how pub rock kind of fused into yeah that's punk? Right. so Stranglers the likes even. of dr feelgood yeah. um and yeah. uh, in in jury stranglers yeah all that, all that crowd um and there was one band that pretty well expressed everything that i felt about stuff and i want you know it was like well f you hate this world um i'm gonna just basically do anything i want to do uh there was another track by the way called teenage depression by this band but I, I won't go into that right now but anyway this was called um this is do anything you want to do by eddie and the hot rods Yeah. 
so and I was also slightly annoyed and I even wrote an article about this for the NME the New Musical Express when I when I left uni a few years later um about how Asian music had been too or an Asianness had been too exoticized by Western mm. music so, so so George Harrison and the Beatles did it um Coolest Shaker did it you know you had all this kind of Ravi Shankar John McLaughlin jazz stuff that was all a bit Indo fusion, or you call it. It was all a bit um, wanky, frankly. Am I allowed to say wanky on the air? Yes, I am. Say whatever you <laughs> want. <I've got> an <laughs> ex- <laughs> please, I've done it now. please yes. do. Uh, it's a really good point, though, isn't it? Because we would call it probably othering in um, in today's uh, vernacular. Yep. We wouldn't have called yep. it that then. Uh, yep. But I hadn't really fully thought about it for, and uh, you know, it's interesting listening to you talk about this now. Uh, you didn't necessarily articulate all these things at the time, but it must have, you know, it seems blooming obvious in retrospect. That's a, that's a really good point you've just made about the unfashionableness of of, of the whole continent at that stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were uh, Asian musicians, Indian musicians of Indian parentage around, but you didn't really know what they disguised themselves. I mean, the guy who was the lead singer of Monochrome Set. Do you remember? The Monochrome Set. Vin? Bid. Is um, it Bid? Bid, sorry, called, Bid, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bid, he was Bid, yeah. He, uh, he was Asian origin, was, that's true. He was Asian origin, yeah. And then there was um, a band who I did actually really like, which again came down, came later, I think they started quite earlier, um, called Corner Shop. Um, and yes. Fat Boy Slim basically made them number one with that amazing yes, remix of Brimful of Asher. Yeah. And Brimful of Asher is about an Asian... A Bollywood singer, a legendary one. Um, and that was great. That was when suddenly a little bit of confidence came in, but that was later. Anyway, the first time I kind of heard a track that I thought, you know what, I quite like this. This is kind of using mm-hmm. Indian stuff. Um, and it basically had as the lead singer, uh, a girl called Sheila Chandra. She was 16 and she'd been in a uh, school drama called Grange Hill. And uh, this was a track that she sang uh, and it was produced and written by some some top producers and I think recorded in a great studio. Anyway, whatever. It came out of nowhere um, and it's called uh, Ever So Lonely and this is by Monsoon.
Wow, love that. Um, Ever So Lonely by Monsoon, uh, which was a hit, top 10. And I think in, in with a re-release, it was a hit a few years later as well. Um, obviously, nowadays, uh, the way they indie music is, is, well, it's just very eclectic and it involves and it's lots of different types of things. I'm talking about modern indie music. Um, but uh, then, I mean, that was it was unusual. Um, so that was that. That was kind of, you know, trying to figure out my Asian identity, whatever that meant, or, or your identity anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and having gone to all these kind of punky gigs, along came a movement which absolutely was perfect. I completely identified with it. It was called Two-Tone, and it meant everything to me. Basically, I just absolutely so immersed myself in it. I went to tens of gigs at least at the age of 16, 17 in London, the Hammersmith Palais, all these gigs which involved at the time an amazing lineup if you think about it because you had Dexy's Midnight Run, well as well, sorry let me start from the top, you had the specials, you had Madness, you had The Beat, you had The Selector, you had Dexy's Midnight Runners as I mentioned, all these bands all in the same bill. Um, and it was just, wow, this is brilliant. And so I'd go to these gigs and yes, again, you would have this kind of odd mix of skinheads, some of whom didn't realise this is, you know, multiracial music, it's <laughs> about anti-racism, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. They didn't quite get that. Madness had a particular problem with those kind of fans. Um, luckily, again, I would go along and didn't get beaten up. Um, but it really got me into ska and then into reggae. And of course, another person who really pushed that too, the person who played a lot of this stuff first was um, John Peel. And I remember cool. first hearing Gangsters, uh, this track I'm about to play on John Peel um, for the first time and thinking, what on earth is this? This is brilliant. And it is, isn't it, Deeks, to make that mixture of punk and ska. Certainly yeah. the early stuff by the specials was punk and ska. Um, yeah, and it's, a, it's a fantastic fusion, isn't it? Um, Look, I, I feel a little bit guilty because I feel you should have grown up in Coventry, not me, because it would have meant more to you, in a way. <laughs> it it yeah. definitely meant something to me. And there's no doubt about that. And as I mentioned, when Dave O'Neill was in the studio, who's an absolute specials nut as well, it so happened that Horizon Studios, where they did their recording, was over the road from the pub where we all drank. They would come and they would be the cool guys at the far end of the pub playing pool. We, we daren't approach them, really, because obviously they were <laughs> they were legends in Coventry, bigger legends than we've ever had before or since, if you put Philip Larkin perhaps to one side, and perhaps you should. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, look, it was massive. Yeah, Two-Tone was massive in Coventry. Was, even these days, Coventry City, their second strip, is a kind of two-tone uh, design, which apparently yeah. has really taken off. Yeah. A huge amount to the city and a huge beneficial effect to a city that was absolutely, you know, rid riven, is that the right word, by, yes. uh, by racial tension at the time. I would not dare to go down to the city centre to on my own. I just would not. They'd have to go the whole load of us because it would end in violence in those days. And God, a lot of it yeah. was racially based. Correct? Yeah.
Actually, while we were off air, uh, we, we, we were just saying there's, a, in fact, for those interested, uh, there's a two-tone museum's opened in Coventry now. So, for example, if you want to see Jerry Dammer's handwritten lyrics to Ghost Town, they're under a glass cabinet now. Uh, so isn't that funny? Everything gets ossified yeah. in the end, doesn't it? Things which seem so immediate and visceral and punky. Now they're beneath a bit of glass in a museum. Interesting. Yes, you're quite right. It, it reminds me uh, of the poet Keats, who talked about an urn and about uh, how was time it was it Keats? Oh, uh, uh, to an urn? Oh, to, to a Grecian urn, yeah. Keats, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> in which he said that um, things just yeah. stood still and, you know, we, the, the, the perceiver, us, we just look at it and we move on, but the thing that on the urn just stays, as you called it, ossified. Um, but anyway. You just, honestly, you do not get this quality on other music podcasts. This is very, very high quality conversation. <laughs> we, should make this, we should make this a regular thing. Um, we should definitely do that. Uh, yes. Now then, moving yep. on, we've got, we've talked quite a bit about dub. We've actually got a dub track coming up. We have. So basically, um, it then started influencing, you know, I then actually managed to get hold of a bass guitar and started getting into bass and reggae and all that kind of stuff. And um not for me the bass is the central part of of um reggae because it's the tune and the rhythm um and let me give an example uh, of that coming up now this is like an old quite obscure um reggae outfit um well they were basically a studio um, called high fashion and a label called high fashion and this is high fashion dub
Let's move on to then uh, when I happen to meet two um, um, unlikely uh, contenders to be in a band with me. And one of them was <laughs> you. <laughs> one That's of, correct. One of them was you. So, <laughs> so, we, so we get to college, we get to university, and we are... Strange, yes, indeed. And by the way, I was talking about having a really crap time uh, a lot of the time in my hometown in, in southwest London in the 70s mm. and early 80s, but had a few lucky breaks in my life. This is one of them, definitely. I, I don't know how I managed to do this one. I've got this theory that I've blagged my way through several into several things in my life and this is one of them we got into a very good university uh it was like being in a in a you know like a different country for me it was like as i'm sure it was for you it was like this is oh, weird. me too me too yeah there's some very mm. posh we were, we were at oxford let's not beat mm. around the bush we were in oxford yeah. <laughs> and around the same time as the it was very hey, strange for both of us before this is how old we are before at the same college as us before the likes of david Cam david cameron which is kind of weird um but yeah, very privileged. That is odd, came after us. Very privileged place. Um, and it took, took us a while, didn't it, to find people that were like us, in a way. Just forming a band and giving it a go. Yeah. And then we went on to the things that... Although I've got to say, I've got to say that, that there, there was odd bits of... stuff. There was some stuff that we did uh, that I thought, actually, this is genuinely really good. And we actually went into a recording studio, didn't we, in Oxford. Um, we did, yeah, we did, and uh, we recorded on a sixteen track, eight track, I can't remember, um, with this guy, and they were like, you know, I was looking around, it was like, God, we made it here, God, this is soundproof, and there's like, you know, I was looking at the walls <laughs> and thinking, God, this is astonishing, and these like egg boxy things that are making it soundproof, wow, that's a desk, wow, we're playing, wow, people are listening to us, and I mean, it's a, <laughs> well, the sound engineer was listening to us and charging us a lot of money to be there. <laughs> He was, yeah. And, yeah. and indulging us, basically. <laughs> he um, thought we were great. Yeah. He thought we were great. Uh, but we did, uh, you know, we did some balls, yeah, as it were, some some university balls. We did some gigs in, in local venues and managed to sell it out because we got all our friends to come along. And uh, it was you know the, uh, I think the, great. One of the first gigs we played, which was at Jericho Tavern in Oxford, was the same place as Radiohead played their very first gig. Oh. in the Jericho Tavern in Oxford. So... Uh, Obviously, Radiohead went on to well, uh, went on to achieve a tiny bit more than we well, did. I've but seen, that's okay. I've seen interviews with with them talking to Tom York. I think saying that the Gloom Brothers were a major influence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? We're the, we're the missing. We're the missing link. We are the missing link. We were the missing link. You know, I don't think there is any evidence that we ever existed. Now I'll try to look from the tape. People, um, my family's there. I can't find any evidence because there is a tape of it somewhere. I don't know where. The oh, there's loads. Of, I've probably got it somewhere in a cassette, but I, I don't know where the bag of cassettes is. Yeah. Um, somebody's probably got something. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's probably got something. Yeah. Um, anyway, that well, was. Well, sadly, no one's going to hear it on this episode, no. which is a shame. However, we are going to play a track that uh, was uh, quite um, a big. I did. Like, I love the track, and it is by a good old-fashioned. British rock and roll band, and we actually covered this song, and you sang the lead vocal. Here is I did. <laughs> here I is did. here is. It's actually yes. Go on. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> no, say, it's but... actually I don't like this band very much because I don't like their swagger and I don't like the machismo, and I don't really like pure bluesy stuff myself. A huge. Man. I do like this track because it shows vulnerability. Oh, so. Deeker doesn't like the swagger of Jagger, but he does like, and I can't make a rhyme up for this one, he does like, <laughs> uh, 
painted black, which has got that kind of slightly again got a slightly psychedelic vibe to it, hasn't it? It's it's um it's uh, it's just a very good song. So here it is, painted black by the Rolling Stones. I love that vibe, and I love our version actually. I think as much as as, as that version, frankly, um, because I can vaguely got this vague memory of being off our faces on stage, going for it, hundred miles an hour, like all our tracks were, uh, and you really giving it some deeks. Uh, you really going, you know. I've, I've got to say to you, for someone who you know wasn't really a singer, who loved Ian Curtis, I think, and loved Ian Curtis and loved Mark no, Smith. Um, yeah. But we pushed you, don't know how we managed to do it, to the front where you gallantly 
valiantly stuck it out at the front. You were a drummer for a bit, weren't you? <laughs> you were a drummer going dish, bop, dip, bop. Yeah, I couldn't drum either. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. I, was, yeah, I was a bad singer. Your voice fitted perfectly. Drummer. There's a song called Such a Waste, I remember, which I think if I could never find, I'd love to find that. Um, well, your song did work really well. But anyway, but I'd caught the bug by then. I'd caught the bug. I wanted to be in a band. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank I wanted you. to be in a band. Thank you for that. <laughs> you were getting very good at the bass by this stage. Well, I could so play you're the thing. I, 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 again, I, you know, I, I've got this imposter syndrome about pretty well everything I do. And playing bass is definitely one of my imposter syndrome issues. Oh, can you still that? Yes, I think it's about to, it's 10% yeah, now. Yeah, still there. Here we go. So, having left university, <laughs> um, uh, we, I, me and my friend Deanne, who was in the band, uh, first we had a little effort at uh, kind of poppy kind of band and then we thought you know what we love ska and reggae let's go hell for leather and make a ska and reggae song and this is where something remarkable happened which is where i was at middlesex I don't know if you know the story i was at um, middlesex poly in the reception when i recognized the man sitting there it was the drummer from the specials it was john bradbury and he yeah brad indeed from country brad. from the specials he was waiting for his girlfriend I had the bravery to come up to him. We got became mates. He then went on to produce our first single and our first album, City Riot. City Riot, which, which I played, played on somewhere in this time because you played it already. Um, but it's uh, it there that yes. launched basically a, a band that's been going for forty years, and we have. You know, I'm not boasting here because I think we again we blagged this one. I don't know how we managed it. We've gone around the world touring because the British Council adopted us. So we've been literally to Jamaica, India, Sri Lanka, Venezuela, blah blah blah. Uh, we also got signed by Dr. Martins because dear my friend was very smart. He wrote to Dr. Martins, who were looking to go into the world of commercialization, you know, and branding and stuff, and managed to get hundred thousand pounds out of them to make an album. So we, we did that. So wow. we've kind of got away with it. And, you know, we were played on Radio 1. We had Radio 1 sessions. Uh, it was, and we were, you know, all around the world doing gigs to thousands. It was it's astonishing. It's still going. We're still going. Um, and still are not the same members. Um, but it was, at, the, at its peak, it was astonishing.
So there's a, an example of one of the Maroon Tap, that kind of instrumental scar tracks, Bullet, it's called, um, by us Maroon Town. Uh, we obviously, we then also got in rappers and we kind of had a mixture of rap and scar, which I thought was an interesting thing to do. And it kind of worked. Uh, and then we had vocal tracks. Anyway, we've got numerous albums with numerous tracks. But the the back to the bass, which was then beginning to really get into, and my hero was a guy called Jar Wobble. Now, Jar Wobble is a fascinating mm. character. Actually, we mentioned Keats, didn't we, earlier? He's, he was very into Blake. Uh, mentioned Keats. <laughs> he was I tell you, Jar Wobble's a big, uh, is a big, looms large on Sombrero for that. Because, Does he? Uh, one of the two... One of the two classic post-punk albums, along with Close by Joy Division, is uh, Metal Box by Public Image Limited. He obviously provides the the bass to that, and that was the first time, I guess, that punk and dub and other things as well had really combined to devastating effect. And Jar Wobble was at the heart of all that. He was, so, yeah, he was, and John Lydon was a, was really into reggae. To be fair, he'd always been into reggae. He was, um, so that helped. Um, and it's interesting because. Uh, I took, basically, I, I then met a woman, not the first one I'd ever met, but I met a woman uh, who, uh, this is much in, in my <laughs> 30s, who I, uh, on my first, second date, I think, took her to a Jar Wobble gig. And it was fantastic. Oh, nice. And um, he was, you know... He, perfect for charming the ladies. <laughs> he's, like, he's a fascinating character because he's an under, he was an ex-underground driver, tube driver, and he is, you know, quite laconic if you like but he's very interesting in his musical choice he you know he'd worked with chinese musicians musicians he works with all sorts of different cultural fusions and quite recently uh marine town my band had the sheer pleasure of playing a gig on the same bill as him as jar wobble and so i went over mm, to meet him amazing. and that was weird meeting you know, your, your bass hero from for several decades uh, so that's fantastic and this track that we're about to play features Sinead O'Connor on backing vocals. Is it really? Yeah, it does. It's called, okay. it's one of my favorite tracks by him. I love it. And again, it's got that kind of slightly um, Eastern vibe to it as well, which is great. It's called yeah. it's called Visions of You, and it's Jar Wobble and the, what was his, the full name of the band? The Invaders of the Heart? Invaders of the Heart. Let's hear it now.
Well, that was Jar Wobbles Invaders of the Heart and Visions of You. And you you met Jar Wobble, who's a hero of yours. And you've always got to be, they always say, don't they, be a little bit careful about meeting your heroes. I mean, I'm quite glad in a way I never met Marky Smith, although I did see him at the top of the taxi queue at Euston Station once. I think wisely, I decided not to approach him. How was your experience of meeting Jar Wobble? Because he has got a slight reputation of being a bit difficult at times. Yeah, he wasn't particularly forthcoming or conversational um so i couldn't even get into the the diatribe about guess what you were there at my 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 first second date with my now wife and mother of my two children and blah 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 um never got into that mm. um but uh yeah it's a funny stuck about the, the underground and the train yeah yeah well exactly no, I, didn't, I, didn't, I once Northern met line. i once met the author jonathan franson uh, in where was oh, i gosh, in columbia yes. or somewhere at a book at the hayfoot festival in columbia and again same thing I just couldn't get him to talk. I just read two of his books, which I thought were genius, and I was branding on about one of, his, one of his characters, the other one. The first one, yeah, the first one. Freedom, yeah. yeah. The first one. Yeah. Um, I talk about the character mm, Pip. The I think there's a character called Pip in it, who is this kind of amazing rebel. I thought it was brilliantly written. Tried to talk about him to Jonathan Branson. He wasn't interested. So, yes, you're quite right. Don't talk to your... Wasn't grooving on it, as Americans like to say. The great thing about Jonathan Franson is he's a terrific bird watcher. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, um, he's big on birds. An ornithology can sometimes occasionally play a role on sombrero fall. Like, as I record from the garden, and people like to identify the bird life in the background. Jonathan Franson's big ornithologist. I digress. Right, let's get you back on track because I know your battery's running out. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there's plenty of something in the tank. Sorry, right, sorry about that. Um, yeah. So uh, we then kind of move on because uh, um, every, every song here that I've chosen has some sort of resonance with some, some chapter, if you like it, in, in one hand. And the next mm. lucky break I got was, I think, being able to travel the world a lot, not just with the band because of the tours, but also because of my job, which was um, I did a travel show in the 90s. Um, which was on BBC Two oh, in yes. the UK called Rough Guides, yes. um, and it was around that yes. Magenta Divide. Divide. And then I kind of, after a period of doing kind of serious news and current affairs and stuff, I got back into doing travel shows recently, or in the last decade or so, with the the um, show that you mentioned at the top of the show, the travel show. So my favourite episode, <laughs> however, of all of my travels was late at night in New York, having gone to see our friend, our mutual friend Lewis, who was living in New York at the time. I got in a taxi in the in the taxi, playing amazing on great speakers was, uh, I think he was an African taxi driver, and he was playing Casey and the Sunshine Band. Now, I've told you about my weakness for funk and soul and stuff, and he was playing that, and I just basically said to him, listen, I love this track, I love this band. And they incidentally were a racially mixed band, a bit like the specials, but around early in the specials actually in, in the States, which was still quite rare then. Anyway, he was playing there, great hits or something he said do you know what i'm going to take you around new york for free we're going to listen to all of this album with these great speakers and that's exactly what we did and it was a magical magical that's experience cool. so this track is uh casey the sunshine band um i've, I've forgotten which one you're playing um, which one is it uh, playing get, get down, down tonight, tonight. wow
so I had my dinner break and I met up with this guy who was a house producer in music and he knew that I really liked Scar and he said, why don't we get together and try some stuff out in the studio? Because he had his own studio at home. And so we did. And the next thing I knew, his connections were so good that we got, she got signed rather weirdly to Richard Branson's uh, last label before he stopped doing music, which was called V2. And I tell you who else were on V2. The Stereophonics were on V2. Uh, they were the, Sorry to hear they that. Were the, I know, I know. But they were the big band of the time. And Hot Chip, Hot Chip, I think they've just been signed. Very okay. um, Anyway, so for some weird reason, because um, I do think this is genuine, and it is a bit of a novelty track, um, we wrote, got this track together. Um, I got this guy in I knew to do the vocals. I wrote all the lyrics, which are basically gibberish, but no, good gibberish, I think. Good and gibberish. he did he did all the music. I mean, the other guy, Jules, did all the I mean, no, we did it together, actually. We did it together, but he was the real, he's a proper musician and he knew how to do the studio. So we had a, a scar track first, and then we had this one, which was basically um picked up by Radio One and playlisted and played all day on Radio One. We um I remember going to a tube station seeing a massive billboard. The whole <laughs> of the billboard had posters for Columbo. We had some good, gra- good graphics on it as well um, for this track. And it was bizarre because myself and, and Emma, my, my wife, had just moved into this lovely, cool flat, um, which we'd found for cheap. And Guy was coming around and he put the radio on and our track yeah, came on. Yeah, and it was like, wow. wow, those are the moments you hmm. just kind of think, wow, this is what it's all about. Not, I mean, I've got to say, I've never really made any money out of music. Uh, let's be honest, be honest here. Um, mm. That was quite good. That, that track, you'd be surprised how much you make out of uh, just one single.
Just continuing with the music theme, um, and uh, as I was um, boasting about pretty well earlier on about all my amazing travels, um, yes, my favorite, one of my favorite travels, one of my places, and this has got a musical connection, was to New Orleans. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans, but I haven't. It is. It's never been to Nolo. Yeah, uh, is it called that? <laughs> Apparently, yes. New Orleans, Louisiana, I believe. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It is in it is in Louisiana. Uh, it's a, they have amazing music festivals there. And there was a festival we went over to film called the French Quarter Jazz Festival, and there was a band there, a Zydeco band. Have you heard of Zydeco music? It's it's a kind of Louisiana. I am familiar. Yes. Kind of uh, vibe, Frenchy kind of vibe because it was a big French um, influence there. And I think it we came up as a, I think it came as a crossword clue solution um, a few weeks ago, which is I think the main way that I know about Zydeco. You carry on. Uh, the Z, obviously, ten yes, ten points for Z. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we interviewed this band, and just for the TV sake, I said, uh, can you give me a, little, a lesson in something? So they gave me a washboard, and I kind of tried to learn how to play a washboard, and that was great for TV, blah, blah, blah. The next thing we know, uh, we're filming the band uh, on stage from the side, and there's like thousands of people in the audience. And the, the, the main guy, uh, Chubby, says to me, it just says to the crowd, right, we've got somebody from BBC here. We're going to get them on stage to play on this Fats Domino track. Uh, of this cover of, of that Summoner track. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was up there playing the washboard. I'm sure they cut my sound off because it was just ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a lovely kick. So that's one of the most enjoyable musically nice. related Very nice. trips. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's a quick listen to that. That's uh, Joe's Feet by Chubby Carrier and the Bayou Soir. I've just got dot, dot, dot there. I don't know what the bio swamp. Probably a swamp. swamp band. Probably. Yes, there you go. Okay, here it comes. Hello, Josephine. How do you do? Do you remember me, baby? Like I remember you. You used to laugh at me. Hello, Josephine. Randy. 
last track i'm going to play is kind of brings us nicely full circle it's got a bit of dub in it it's a cover of a jefferson airplane classic from the 70s it's 60s um, it's, um 60s yeah you're quite right and it's mystical and weird and i absolutely recommend it and this artist he's called prince fatty he's actually a thin white guy um, I think basically yeah. from Italy, but it's got, it's, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a brilliant, brilliant producer. I recommend everything he does. Um, and again, there's a connection. He works a lot with a, a, a woman called Holly Cook, who is the daughter Cook. of the Sex Pistols drummer, Paul Cook. Lots of musical connections here. We, go, we, we should do another show where we just do no, we musical, ch- musical chains, where we just, you know, have a track like after it. track which has got a vague connection to the previous yeah track i'll sign you off for that yeah, you like yeah, that it's a okay. booking 2022 love it okay we'll do that we'll do that um so that's uh, okay great that's the next time we talk but let's have a quick listen to black rabbit not white rabbit black rabbit by prince fatty and shanice who's the once upon a time in a famous story a girl named Alice got very curious about a little white rabbit who passed by. She followed him and soon found herself falling in a very deep hole into a strange place called Wonderland.
that track love that track psychedelic um dubby brilliant yeah i've not heard that track before it's you're absolutely right it's bloody fantastic uh loved it and this is one of the reasons i do this probably the main reason i get to hear amazing new music all the time um either through research or by talking to people like you good self um and hats off to you deca because uh this is a great show i've been doing it for a while um and you you were podcasting before everyone jumped on the bandwagon with podcasts i mean i'm even doing one now and it's but however yeah but this you? one the one you're doing not but on the music one the, the one you're doing is, <laughs> is great it's got a loyal audience it's the classic um podcast um kind of story really and the, your next step is obviously getting maybe getting a bit, a bit of um sponsorship or you know actually making getting on a wider platforms yeah maybe Maybe I quite like it where it is because sometimes I think in life you overreach yourself, and I um, I'm a modest sort I of. Know, chap I never knew. Heart, I never knew that. Yeah. I like my audience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> false modesty. Uh, anyway, look. Th- th- thank you very much. And also, very, actually, very kind in a way, you're right as well. Uh, but, um, uh, I'll see you right again well, next. Because that's an, you know, it's all about indie, isn't it, for you and the indie ethos? And I guess in a way, getting a sponsorship is exactly the opposite of that. That would be corrupting the the indie the indie. It ethos, kind of is. It? That's true. Um, it kind of is. It's quite interesting when you read up about what you should be doing with your podcast. And I read it all, and I think I don't want to do any of that. I just want to <laughs> carry on doing what I'm yeah. doing, talking to my people, which which I, which I is what I want to do. Yeah. So it's yeah, about community, community exactly. And as long as you've got people who you know look forward to the next one and comment on it and all that stuff, that is the whole notion of a community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just just keeps me going. So yeah, that's right, yes. So what what's uh, what's 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 um, tell us. Tell us what's next for you. And um, yeah, tell, tell us what's next. I have no idea. Next. I mean, lockdown has stopped gigs. Excellent. So we haven't done a gig for a year and a half. Um, we, this is the band. We produce singles every now and again. Um, in terms of other stuff, I've got two 
kids now who are 20, one's at university and one's at 17, who's doing her A-levels in a sense. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they take over your, your life to a large extent until the next moment mm -hmm. when they leave home. And then, yeah, 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 gonna leave me here, are you? All over again, in a sense. Um, yes, you're staring yep. into the abyss, and uh, you start, you start a music podcast. Exactly, <laughs> and, and yes. that's good, though, because I think it's really important to find something that you focus on, that you that you, that becomes your new your new narrative, as I always like to say. We're all we all live a narrative, oh, and yes. it's about creating a story yeah. that, in a sense, justifies your existence on the planet. Um, because uh, we're all having these existential thoughts, aren't we, all the time? Um, what have we done? What have you know? Have we actually contributed anything at all? Um, and the answer is, in the grand scheme of things, probably not. But I like to talk, think about the lightness no. of being. You know, Milan Kundra, the unbearable lightness of being. I think it's quite bearable yes, the lightness of being if you view it in a way that okay, we're just passing clouds, passing bits of dust in the grand scheme of things. But that's good because just go with it. <laughs>